Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. We will be starting a new season of Jury Duty on February 28th with our examination of the Kenosha, Wisconsin murder trial of Kyle Rittenhouse. You can find a trailer for that new season in our feed. However, before we start Jury Duty Season 4, we are revisiting the trial of Robert Durst, which we covered in Seasons 1 and 2 of this podcast. Jury Duty has secured exclusive interviews with two of the jurors, Carmen Kliteka and John Okanishi, who were part of the Los Angeles panel that convicted Robert Durst of the murder of his good friend, Susan Berman. In our last episode, we heard their memories on the latter portion of John Lewin's cross-examination of Robert Durst and Carmen's reflections on Habib Balian's closing argument. In this episode, we conclude our conversation with Carmen as we hear her reflections on the jury deliberations, the verdict, and the death of Robert Durst. One quick program note. We will conclude this bonus series tomorrow with my conversation with John Okanishi about these same subjects. But today is our final session with Carmen, and that's coming up right after the break. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. We begin today's episode with the resumption of my conversation with juror number 12 and jury four person, Carmen Kliteka. Carmen, tell me about your experience of the deliberations all the way through to your reaching a verdict. First of all, as soon as we were uh, released, the first order of business was to select a four-person. In this case, it was uh, not very mysterious who it would be because the jurors had asked me a couple weeks before if I would serve as the uh, four-person. I accepted their uh, proposition, and I was surprised, and I I said I would be happy to. Uh, We went on to organize the deliberations. But before getting started, I just wanted to let my fellow jurors know that I felt it was an honor and a privilege to serve with them. Um, I felt that they were an outstanding group of of people, very intelligent, with uh, high ethical and moral standards. And I felt that they brought a wealth of diversity and life experience. And I let them know that it was my pleasure to serve alongside them. Also, um, it was disappointing for the entire group to not have the alternate jurors join us in the deliberation phase since they had been with us the the entire time. Um, We were disappointed to not have uh, their contribution. So then the next order of business was for me to communicate to their group what they can expect from me which was that I was fully committed to this process and that I was here to facilitate the discussion in accordance with uh, Judge Wyndham's instructions and that we would address all issues and questions that that arise. And um, also that I would advocate for everyone to have the time that they need to reach their own independent conclusion. 
I also communicated my expectations of them, which is to provide the, the full attention and commitment that this case requires and that we would be thorough and we would be protective of this case and we would protect the in- integrity by handling this case with the care and respect that it deserves and with consideration of the time and effort that everyone involved has put in, including the investigators, the attorneys, the judges, ourselves, the jury, and even the defendant, Robert Durst. And I assured the group that we would perform uh, deliberations in a fully ethical manner. And it was really important for me to state these things up front because I was concerned that there might be an attempt to cause a mistrial. And I wanted to make sure that we did everything as close to perfect as possible because I didn't want the jury to be blamed for something. Interesting. Where did that thought come to you from? Why did you have that thought? Well, shortly before we went into deliberations, it was during the questioning of Robert Durst. One of the jurors received a very bizarre text from an unknown number, and they were trying to uh, get him to say something via text about the case. It was something like, you know, hey, are you still in the jury of that creepy Robert Durst trial? You know, just something like that to try to engage him. And this text came in over our lunch break, and he was in the juror's room, in our break room, and he he showed it to some of us that were in there with him. And I suspected that this might be an attempt by someone to, you know, get him to say something, and then this would sort of cause an issue that would potentially lead to a mistrial. So I advised him to save the text and uh, show it to the judge as soon as we get back into the courtroom. And he did. And they spoke with us individually. Each person that saw the, the text in the break room, we were all taken to the room behind the courtroom. And the judge and the attorneys asked us individually about what we saw and what happened. And so that was fresh in my mind. And I thought we might see something similar and we have to be really careful. The case is now in the deliberations phase and it's in our hands. It's in our care and we have to make sure we we protect it. Got it. And then once you laid out for the jury what your responsibilities were as you understood them and what your expectations were as the foreperson, what was your next step? Well, my next step is to address the uh, elephant in the room, which is I had plans to take my son to college. He was going to be moving into his dorm across the country. And my husband and I and my daughter, we were planning a family trip to take my son. And I had this planned for a couple of months. And I did tell the court and I told my fellow jurors about this. And that was going to be the following week. So I addressed that with them. And I had uh, been thinking about this since they asked me to, to be foreman. I had been thinking that if I am going to serve in this capacity, 
I will need to postpone my trip. So uh, I made some changes. Instead of shopping with him when we arrived at his college, we did all the shopping ahead of time. And I was planning to send my husband and my daughter to help him get moved in. And then I would visit a couple of weeks later to see how he settled in and uh, what else he needed. I actually thought that was a pretty good plan, and I was pretty happy with it, and my family was as well. So I communicated that to the jurors because I didn't want them to think that I was going to leave them in the middle of our uh, deliberations. And I wanted to assure them that I would be present to the end. So um, after that, then, you know, we did some housekeeping stuff, like reviewed the rules and expectations from the court. And this is the document that was read to us by Judge Wyndham right before we went into the deliberations room. We reviewed it again, and uh, we all took turns reading it. I wanted everyone to have an opportunity to speak up and uh, increase their level of comfort with the group. There were some people who were a little bit uh, more soft-spoken, more shy, more quiet. I wanted to give them a chance to feel more comfortable. And then we established a plan of action that would meet our uh, objectives outlined in the document from, from the court. We assigned uh, tasks to individual members, like, for example, someone would be in charge of organizing the votes and uh, someone else would be responsible for tallying. Another person was responsible for taking notes and writing them on our big board and keeping our like thought outline organized. And then readings were assigned and stuff like that. The next thing we did was uh, we took a baseline vote to see where everyone was just regarding this issue of this case, which is the murder of Susan Berman, and whether they felt Robert Durst was guilty of that. The verdict was interesting. Uh, We had 10 votes for guilty and two undecided. I was surprised. I think some of the other jurors were surprised as well that given the overwhelming amount of information presented, that there would be two undecided. And these were from two of the female jurors. So we asked very quickly what the main issues were, because I wanted to make sure that they were at the top of our our list of things to address. And uh, these were concerns relating to Kathy Durst's murder. Was the initial vote secret or were people public about their decisions? It was secret because I didn't want to put anybody on the spot. I didn't want anybody to to feel any pressure this early on. And so when you saw those two undecided votes, what thoughts and actions did you take in order to address those votes, given that you didn't know who made those votes? I told the group that we would pay close attention to their concerns and that we're going to address them until they are fully satisfied. And then we would take a vote again. And so then what did you do? I kept moving on because I wanted to make sure we laid out the plan. The plan was to go over each murder individually, addressing the corresponding counts, determine guilt, and then take vote. This was sort of the the formula that we 
applied to each one. We started out by setting up a timeline, organized into like, just have a visual a visual representation because, you know, there's like, a, there's a lot of dates and it was a nice way to illustrate. At this point, we requested Mr. Balian's timeline that he presented in the closing argument. It was a really nice timeline. Unfortunately, uh, we were denied our request because this wasn't official evidence. It was just something in the presentation. So they were not allowed to share that with us which was okay. We recreated it on the board. The first case we started with was Kathy's murder. We reviewed um, the evidence uh, presented by both sides and uh, we, we put it on the board. We put supporting that murder or against. The list for supporting was very, very long and uh, the list for against was pretty short. And then we found ourselves uh, <laughs> taking items off of that list. So it grew even shorter as we progressed. And at this time, um, we addressed questions posed by the undecided jurors, since they were uh, both relating to Kathy. One of the jurors uh, questioned Kathy's uh, motive for staying with Robert Durst through domestic abuse. So we, we talked a little bit about that, and we determined that her motive is unrelated to the actual murder. So it really is not a concern that's directly linked to whether Robert Durst is guilty for murdering his wife or not. The undecided uh, jurors, they were satisfied with our discussion and agreed with uh, the rest of the, the jurors and changed their their vote to guilty on that. So during the course of the deliberations, the two jurors who had voted undecided made clear who they were, or did you have a series of secret votes where they were able to revise their opinion? They eventually made clear who they were. And in doing so, they made clear that their biggest issue was on the original Robert Durst murder, the killing of his wife, Kathy Durst. Yes. So after talking through it with the group, they felt comfortable. Did anybody offer an opinion during the course of those deliberations about how it happened, how it might have happened, what happened? What were the circumstances in which Robert killed her? We thought that this probably was not a planned murder. We didn't believe that he took her to Salem that day with that plan in mind. I think what happened is that they sort of had this this thing that they do where they have these these fights and they get physical. And we have evidence of that. I think this was a fight that went too far. As we saw with Peter Schwartz, he can get very aggressive and violent and he was strong. I think maybe he just got more upset than usual, maybe pushed her a little bit harder than usual. And this time her injury was fatal. And you guys talked about this in the room? Yes, yes. Got it. When it came time to move on from that, it was just a verbal consensus in the room? Well, there was a large amount of evidence. And some jurors started to look at each individual piece, which quickly proved to be very time-consuming. And also it took focus off of our target. So I offered a, a compromise which was to make a list of items for review as we continue our discussion. 
And then afterwards, we could look in the evidence boxes as a group. And so we, we agreed on that. And this helped us to uh, stay on course. So we actually uh, relied heavily on our own notes that were taken during the trial. I was actually pretty impressed by some of the jurors' notes and note-taking. One juror in particular, very intelligent and a thoughtful geologist, she had notes with a high degree of detail. I mean, she didn't miss a beat. She was <laughs> really, really good. We ended up using her notes quite a bit. So at the end of this discussion about uh, Kathy's murder, we did not believe that she was a drug addict who went missing or ran away, as was presented by the defense. Uh, we felt that the evidence demonstrating domestic abuse and murder was overwhelming, and this led to a unanimous guilty vote, and this uh, supported the special circumstance. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. We now return for the conclusion of my conversation with Carmen Kleteka. First of all, the vote where you all agreed that Robert Durst killed his wife, Kathy, was that done verbally or was it done by secret vote? So we, we did away with the secret vote after the, the baseline. Got it. And so was it done by raise of hands? Raise of hand. Yes. And John was in charge of the votes in handling that. He did an excellent job. And then when it comes to the special circumstance charge, I imagine that that's related to Susan Berman being a witness to the crime with Robert Durst having told her that he was somehow responsible for Kathy's death and enlisting Susan in the cover up of Kathy's death by calling the Albert Einstein Medical Center. Yes, that's the special circumstance. Got it. Did you go about voting on whether Susan had participated in the cover-up? Yes. How did that go down? We agreed that, that Susan is the person who made that phone call. And we didn't take an, an official vote on this. This is something we discussed when we were covering the major pieces of evidence that supported Robert Durst's guilt under Susan Berman's uh, murder list. Got it. We then uh, went on to discuss Morris Black. And this one, this discussion was pretty straightforward, given that there had already been a trial for this. So we didn't spend a lot of time on this. So after a, a brief review of the evidence um, presented by both sides, and after a discussion, uh, we all agreed that Robert Durst had murdered him as well in an attempt to avoid being found and convicted of murder. This is at the time when uh, Janine Pirro had uh, reopened the investigation and there was some media coverage of that. So uh, Morris Black would have seen it on, 
on uh, television. We agreed that after uh, murdering Morris Black, he then dismembered and discarded the body in an attempt to cover it up. And that furthermore, he took an extra step to hide the head, which had the gunshot wound evidence, which we thought would have told a different story than the story he was telling in the courtroom. So we did the same thing for Morris. We had a, a list of supporting guilty and then supporting innocent. And the list for supporting guilty was very long in comparison with the innocence. We then moved on to the murder of Susan. We started off by uh, reviewing the evidence presented by both sides and looking at the corresponding accounts. We did not believe the story about Robert Durst finding the body. We believed what happened is that he showed up as an unexpected but welcome visitor and then that he murdered Susan when he saw an opportunity. At this point, we put the three murders in in perspective, identified links, and concluded that it was clearly established and proven that Robert Durst had murdered his friend, Susan Berman, by gunshot wound to the back of the head on uh, December of 2000, with the motive to keep her from disclosing information to police that would indict him in the murder of his wife, Kathy. And also, Robert Durst told us himself on hot mic in the bathroom of the jinx set, and we believe he was telling the truth. So for, for Susan, we, we again, we, we made this list, and then we, we took the, the votes. So this was our conclusion. And so after this, then we went back and addressed anything that still needed to be addressed, and including the list of evidence that we needed to review. Because remember, at the beginning, we started to look through the evidence boxes. Uh, some of the jurors that were actually like leaving the table and started to dig around in the evidence box. I called them back and I asked them to stay engaged in the discussion and uh, that we would return to the evidence boxes. I wanted to keep that. So then at this point, we, we all went to the evidence boxes and we started uh, looking around, addressing all of the items that we had on our list. That evidence box, there was a lot in there, a lot. One of the things that sticks out in my mind from looking through the boxes, we found the, the mask that Robert Durst had that he had made and that they found at the JW Marriott when he was arrested. It was a very lifelike mask. The material was very soft, thick plastic. It looked like skin and it was it had a lot of detail including like it looked like it had little pores and little like facial hair. It was kind of creepy. And then it, it was like a full mask. Like the, it included like the the head, the hair, the face had little small holes in the in the ear and in the nostrils, and then a slit for the mouth. So it was designed to like wear over the head and then have like a t-shirt or clothes over it, and it looked pretty real. We also had a chance to review Susan Berman's planner that was included in the in the evidence. And uh, we had a chance to flip through the pages and look for any indication that she was expecting Robert Durst to arrive sometime in December. 
And we didn't see any evidence of that. So the the next uh, thing that we did was we addressed any additional questions or concerns that anyone might have. I wanted to make sure that everyone in the room felt 100% comfortable and 100% satisfied with the level of discussions that we had. So I went around the room and asked everyone to speak out and confirm that they that they were satisfied and they had no additional questions. So we did that. And then once we were confident that there was nothing else we had to address, we took the official votes and we read each of the counts and voted for everything, each one individually. We recorded our votes and then we called the bailiff to let him know that we were ready with our verdict. That's fantastic. Just a couple questions about the deliberations. Did you get any more granular in your discussion of that evening that Robert Durst showed up unannounced but welcomed at Susan's house? Did you talk a bit about exactly what happened, when it happened, and what Robert Durst might have done? Was there any speculation about that articulated in the deliberations room? We talked about the story that the defense had presented. They said that somebody had been there before and that Bob was looking for the killer, if you recall. They said that when he arrived, the door was open and he like heard somebody leaving or something like that. We talked about how we didn't believe any of that. Did you talk at all about what the dogs might have done, why Susan was found in that back bedroom? Any theories about the steps that Durst took before he fired the shot? We thought that he probably wasn't there for very long and he took the first opportunity and that would have been a good one. She would have been busy with the dogs. Yeah, like, you know, because they were probably yapping. He said himself he didn't like them. And so, you know, she was trying to quiet them. And the way that Mela told us that she would quiet them was to put them in separate bedrooms and close the doors. So tell me about the delivery of the verdict and your feelings during the course of the reading. That was such a, a great moment for us. We felt collectively so much relief to have been able to review everything thoroughly And to our full satisfaction, we were very proud to turn that verdict in. And we were proud of the work that we had done. And it was a a huge sense of relief. Unfortunately, we were all pretty disappointed that Robert Durst was not present for the reading of the verdict. It would have been very satisfying to be able to look him in the eye at that moment. You know, there were times when commentators were saying that the trial was going on too long and that the prosecution was over-arguing, engaged in overkill in making their case at the risk of Robert Durst dying before the verdict came in or alternatively at the risk of turning off the jury. Did you give any credence to that? No, not at all. It was just set in in some strange circumstances with COVID. So we have the the COVID thing, sending the timeline and adding some uh, twists to to this. But also this case was pretty complex. And because it involved two additional murders, I think to properly try this case, they really 
had to address each of these murders, which, I mean, all these things take time if, if it's going to be done right. And there was a lot of work and preparation and gathering of evidence involved in this case. And I think to uh, properly present that, it needed this time. So I appreciate that we had that time because it was really necessary for this to be done correctly. Tell me about your feelings about Judge Wyndham and how he handled the case. Oh, Judge Wyndham, he was really great. I felt really fortunate to have had him as the judge presiding over this case. I thought he did a really wonderful job. He had the perfect combination that you would want in a judge. He's very fair and equitable. He's also very kind and uh, very personable and approachable. I think everyone in the courtroom felt very comfortable with him. And I also really liked that he was firm and he was very clear about the rules he had in place and he upheld them. So I knew that I could always count on that stability. And also he didn't put up with any nonsense from anyone. And it was not unusual to see him scolding the lawyers. And he really did a nice job keeping control of that courtroom and that he did an excellent job. Carmen, how did you hear the news that Robert Durst had died? And what were your feelings about that? I was disappointed to hear that he had died because the path for justice was just beginning and moving in the right direction. And, you know, the timing was just terrible because just as justice is going to be served and he's finally going to be held accountable for Kathy's murder after 40 years and Susan and Morris's murder after 20 years, it was very disappointing that he would continue to evade and avoid any accountability. And how do you feel about the fact that California law states that because he appealed the verdict and because he died during the course of the appeal, that the conviction is vacated? That is absolutely ridiculous. I don't understand it at all. And maybe if I was a lawyer, I would understand it, but I don't. And I really think that law or that rule should be revised. It makes no sense to me. All this effort and energy and resources went into establishing this. Why can it be overturned and nullified so easily? I think all that work should be better protected. Do you take comfort in the fact that the news of the conviction, the public nature of the outcome of the trial will stand in history, even if as a legal matter, the conviction is vacated? I do take comfort in knowing that there was you know, great satisfaction in giving that guilty verdict because it was a long time coming, especially after he was acquitted in Texas. It's sort of righted or wrong, if you will. One thing that I take comfort in is that I think most people are not going to be looking at this little detail that it was overturned because of this filing or whatever. I don't think people really pay attention to that or care about that. I think the message is that 
he was finally found guilty. And that's what's going to stick in people's minds. Not this little detail. Well, first, Carmen, I want to thank you for giving us all of this incredible time and all of these incredible perceptions, incredible insights and recollections. Well, thank you, Carrie. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here with you and to share with you and your listeners my perspectives and my experience. Carmen Kliteka, thank you again so much for your time. Carrie, it's my pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me. That concludes this bonus episode of Jury Duty. Join us on our next episode as we conclude this bonus series with my final conversation with John Okanishi and his reflections on the jury deliberations, the verdict, and the death of Robert Durst. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You can find more information about this trial at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created, produced, and hosted by yours truly, Carrie Antholis. It was co-produced and edited by Chris Taracone. Music was provided by Strike Audio. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty.